What's going on, FCS football fans? Welcome to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. I am David Hasek, and to my left, the jet lags are the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, good morning. Good morning, man. You're right, dude. I almost, I was ready to come in yesterday and do it, but as soon as I landed and, and realized I had been up since 3 in the morning to get to my 6 a.m. flight coming out of Daytona Beach to land at 8.45 here in the morning in, in Jersey, I was like, oh. I'm tired, dude. I was like out of it the entire day. I told you the night before. I'm like, nah, we ain't recording. You're gonna, you're gonna be just dying over here. Get an extra night's sleep. So we apologize, folks, for being out here a day late. Uh, but we will be covering everything here. We'll be talking about the quarterfinals. There were some crazy games in the quarterfinals. Um, dominance by the Bison again. Uh, Kennesaw gets a really, really bad break in their home game. Uh, we're going to be talking about the FCS Bowl, where Emory was this past weekend, covering all the FCS prospects down there. We've got some coaching openings that have happened, and another couple of Blue Blood programs that have some uh, coaching hi- hires to be made, and some programs that have finally found their guys. We'll be talking about that, and then, of course, we will break down the Celebration Bowl, which is coming up this weekend, the first bowl game. It's bowl season already, folks. It really is. And then we will be talking about the two semifinals, including a rivalry renewed from the regular season in the semifinal round. Again, folks, if you want to listen back on any of our podcasts, you can go to SoundCloud or iTunes, search Football Game Plan in the podcast section, and don't forget to go to footballgameplan.com for all of your coverage of everything football from the NFL all the way down to college and beyond for all of Emory's coverage there. So let's get right into the quarterfinal round, Emory, and we're going to go in chronological order here, and we're going to start on the game that happened on Friday um, University of Maine, the champions of the CAA, traveling out to Weber State in Utah. Um, really a tough trip, a tough game, tough conditions. There was snow on the ground. But the University of Maine pulls off the upset 23-18 over Weber. Incredible performance by the Black Bears. And again, people keep doubting this team. They keep showing up. I was in my hotel room watching this game, and... It was funny because normally I can be active what what I'm watching the game as far as like tweeting out takes yeah, yeah, of what yeah. I just noticed. So, I, but this time I was just kind of like relaxing, sitting there watching the game, and I want to say around the third quarter I just tweet out a take. I was like, "Man, it seems like every time I look up, Jay Constantine is throwing an interception. <laughs> he had to have had 19 picks in that ball game. Yep, yep. Just when you thought Weber State was going to find a way to pull it out, Maine was able to turn the ball over." And then on the other side, was able to generate a big play. So the Black Bears have all of the tools necessary to be successful. They're solid on special teams, both kicking and returning. Yes, Defense is excellent. Offense can run the ball. They can dominate up front. They can find plays downfield in the passing game. Probably one of the more complete teams outside of North Dakota State that we don't even talk about in the FCS. And they probably have been this way the entire season. I just thought that last week's game – against Weber State just show that this team is a legit championship contender. Well, we t- you talked about it before. We've talked about it on this on this program. This, this is a team that had the only 1,000-yard rusher in the CAA last year. So they have a strong offensive line. The question is, how are they going to replace that offense? And they've done it with a couple a two-back system that's really been effective. You mentioned the, the black hole defense, as they call it. Man, they turned into a giant black hole in that game. They were all over the field. They were intercepting passes left and right. And their rushing attack is just 
you know, it what it controls the game and it sets them apart. And Weber State, even though they have a high flying offense, they tried to go wide. They really couldn't get anything done. At some point, you got to put the clamps on the quarterback if he's not having a good day. And if you turn the ball over at a high clip, you got to find other ways to be successful. I thought Coach Harasimiak did a great job with the game plan defensively and made sure to keep Weber State thinking they had a shot via the pass yeah. and really shut them down and took them away. And, by the way, the reason they had success, Harasimiak, Springfield guy. Well, well, Springfield well College alum. <laughs> you, you have on a Springfield hat and Springfield sweatshirt. And I, I got to rep again. Rocking my Raging Cajun sweatshirt. As, <laughs> it's alumni week. Exactly. <laughs> as we have a big game this weekend. We play in a Cure Bowl against the Tulane Green Wave. Interesting ball game. A little rivalry, a little throwback rivalry game there. Yeah. But, yeah, both head coach and defensive coordinator for, for UMaine did some co- coaching work at Springfield College. You're welcome. Also, shout out to the main black bear band <laughs> if you watch the game folks you saw this they put their itinerary on the screen they left orono maine which again is in the middle of nowhere folks i've been to maine i don't know where orono is they left at 5 30 in the morning i don't know what kind of connecting flight they had but they got to the stadium and then got through traffic literally after kickoff like the game had just kicked off they finally showed up played the entire game they were at energetic all over the place and then they got back on a flight. They got back to Maine at 5.30 in the morning the next day. Did, now, did they fly into Salt Lake City? I'm guessing so. That, hey, it yeah, had it, to. it had to. I've, I've flown into Salt Lake City before, and it's a, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous flying into Salt Lake City because yeah. you're right on Salt Lake, right? Right. And when you're flying in, you think you're going in the water. <laughs> Literally. You're like, man, oh. This you know this is not out of you know is nothing this like something? a little terror before exactly you right but you and it's the, obviously when you're flying there and over the Rockies the the elevation the crosswind so it's a little shaky not violently bumpy flight but shaky when you're going into land but it's a beautiful landing uh, strip and and great airport and I want to say it's about two hours south of Ogden Utah something like that something yeah. like that so. They could have is the fact that they were able to get in because we know how bad the weather was out there yeah. and get there and then get on the flight back and get there at five thirty a.m. My goodness! Shout out to the Black Bears. I know Colgate had a similar experience. Yeah, uh, leaving Fargo, going out to uh, back to to Hamilton, New York. Yeah. So, sh- shout out to that donor. It was a it was an anonymous donor that yeah. donated the money to get yep. the band out there, and credit to that donor for making that happen. I wonder if they're going to do it again. I got to talk about one more thing though about this game. And that was the officiating. Yeah. I have seen some bad officiating. And in sometimes I've searched for bad officiating. But <laughs> this was the most obvious poor officiating I have ever seen in my life. Between, I mean, some of the reviews that were done in this game could be deciphered in two replays. There was a targeting call. I think it was in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Replay one shows he didn't hit him in the head. Replay two showed he didn't use his head. Two replays, two views, done. 30 seconds. Five minutes later, they're still trying to figure out how they can throw this kid out of the game. Later on in the game, when uh, Maine scored their last touchdown, kid goes to the back of the end zone, spins the ball. Lowly spins the ball. Lowly spins the ball. Doesn't do it in front of the, in front of the fans of the players. Spins the ball and walks away. Unsportsmanlike conduct. That's been done since the 1960s, and that's never been called for a penalty. And then they don't even know the rule that they can move the, the extra point 15 yards back, which gave... Weaver stayed a chance at the end of that ball game. The coach had to sprint down the sideline and to remind them, oh, by the way, this is the rule. We can do it now. Are you kidding me? And you're in charge of a quarterfinal game. What conference did they get these refs from? It, it, did, 
was it Utah High School? Is is this what they did they run out of refs? Is this what happened here? You can't disparage Utah high school refs like that. I would say <laughs> who the refs in the, the Hall of Globe Trotters and Washington <laughs> Federals games. Those refs. It's pretty pretty much the same thing. The but I mean wrestling refs. That kind of that that cannot be allowed to happen in a playoff game, especially one in the quarterfinals. But let's move on to the second game. You talked about it. The other game that was on national TV, North Dakota State versus Colgate. We talked about this. This is the Colgate defense that is one of the best we've ever seen. We talked about how there were possibilities here for the perfect storm, and it was going to be a series of questions. And I said, I said the first question would be from North Dakota State, can you stop us in the run game? What do they do on the first drive? They throw the ball. And what a job they did the entire game completely mixing up their offense. They had Colgate baffled. Whenever they ran up the middle, Colgate had them stopped. Outside of that, they had no clue what was coming next, and it's all about the North Dakota State weapons. They went 35 nothing. My biggest question coming into that game was offense. Yeah. How can Colgate overcome North Dakota State potentially stopping the run and making Grant Brenneman beat them throwing the football? Can he do it? Can he make it happen? Can he do it with some consistency? Because if they could, they could stay on the field, get their defense some rest. Yep. So that way when they go back out there, they could be much more apt to getting stops on North Dakota State. The passing game wasn't there. They couldn't run the football. It was complete domination defensively by North Dakota State. And it was tr- and it was dominant in the trenches as well. You could see it the whole game that this was it was a different it was a different level of offensive and defensive linemen from the Bison um, which obviously Colgate, you know, obviously has, has a tremendous front. They weren't prepared for that. They weren't ready to take on that sort of thing. Uh, for North Dakota State, it's now their eighth consecutive appearance by the way in the semifinals. 8 in a row. The longest <laughs> the other records behind that are Georgia South, our Marshall with six, Georgia Southern with five. This is now eight wow. for them. And now we're, we've also learned, we'll talk about this when we get to the coaching changes, that they're losing their quarterback, they're losing their head coach to an FBS job with two games left to go. Now, I said, is that going to be a distraction? But as you brought up to me uh, when we were texting back and forth, this has happened before with this program. Yeah, they, they lost Craig Bowl, and he was still there coaching the team and doing double duty with Wyoming now in close proximity where you could potentially do both this is kansas state with chris Kleiman. first of all fantastic hire great hire great hire by kansas state similar recruiting strategies considering where they're located yes. so great hire on that front uh, but I, I think he may continue to coach the team and try to do double duty recruit at kansas state while also coaching this this bison team for the rest of uh the playoffs or you know maybe he decide i can go now but i think either way the bison will be fine yeah absolutely Let's talk real quick about this Colgate team. We talked about their dominance all year. How does this team get remembered now? Honestly, you not you obviously you went undefeated until you lost Army. You knocked out JMU in the in the second round. How do we remember this team? Because this is a defense that we have not seen this kind of dominance from maybe ever. They'll be remembered as a great team, right? You know, you have to give them credit for what they've done. Coach Dan Hunt should be. I don't know if he's one of the finalists for the Eddie Robinson Award, but he yeah. should be. Yeah. Um, building that team up, considering they don't have summer workouts, you know, the, because there's no summer school at Colgate. Yeah. So guys have to come back in shape, ready to go, and they hit the ground running. Yeah. And put together one of the best defensive seasons we've seen in quite some time. It was real fun to watch them continue to get better and embrace the challenge of shutting the team out throughout the course of the year. So it'll be, I think it will be remembered as a great team. We'll, always talk about how good this Colgate team was 
in yeah. 27, 2018. That's the measuring stick now. Let's get on to the other games that were happening on Saturday. South Dakota State at Kennesaw State, the number five versus number four seeds. And for the second consecutive week, Kennesaw State has their offense undone, but it was a bad breaks all over the place. First of all, the weather was atrocious. Once again, some really nasty storms. And by the way, for the people that are dealing with the snowstorms, by the way, in North Carolina and Virginia, I know my cousins had about a foot of snow. Wow. Uh, from the last storm, and that's I know down there, up here it's okay. It's a foot of snow. We can deal with it down there. Not so much. So, it snowed last week at South Dakota State, and now it. But it poured rain in in, in Kennesaw. Kennesaw this week. Yeah, I'm starting to think South Dakota State controls the weather. Yep. Let the conspiracy the conspiracy theories begin. They're part of the government. They're all part of the cover up. But Kennesaw State, as I said, though bad breaks. They lose Chandler Burks in the second quarter. He goes down with an injury. They have to go to the backup. Just not the same offense. They had to rely more on the passing game, which they don't normally do. And South Dakota State ran the ball, controlled the game. They get the win 27-17, and they're off to the semifinals. This is the team that I would use the old football cliche, no one wants to play. Mm-hmm. South Dakota State has great quarterback play, Taron Christian. I heard a comparison from a scout that he has a little bit of that Steve McNair in him. Ooh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. You talk about a draft class where the FBS prospects aren't deep and they aren't a plenty. Yeah. It's a good chance for a guy like Taron Christian to rise up the draft boards and, and make a name for himself if he can continue to play at a high level in big games, which what we've seen from him throughout the course of his career, we've seen him beat North Dakota State before. Yeah. But in this ball game, he did what he had to do to keep the offense on pace, keep the team on balance, on schedule, and win the game defensively. I love what I'm seeing from the Jackrabbits. I believe yes. their defense, more in particular their ability to stop the run, which was evident in this game. I know it was raining, but they did a great job fundamentally in stopping the option attack. Yes. I am a big fan of what I've seen so far in the playoffs defensively from South Dakota State. And the biggest thing is they were still able to run the ball even though Kennesaw wasn't able to. Uh, Pierre Strong Jr. had a great game, 18 carries for 112 yards and a score. They were able to still control the game and control the ball despite the conditions where, as Kennesaw State found out with their option, they really couldn't do that. And, again, that speaks to the defense as well. But winning in adverse conditions, now they get to nice go a nice play in a nice cozy dome in the semifinal round. In a place round. that they've done well before. We'll talk about that in the, in the semifinal previews. It's, there's going to be some, uh, some intrigue. There's going to be some, some – I can't wait to hear you pick – South Dakota State to blow out North Dakota State. I don't, I see, I don't, I don't know if I can pick anybody because I picked Colgate. I picked San Diego last year to <laughs> yeah, pull you, the yeah, we, we, we're pulling you. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, no more predictions out of you. No more hot. No more hot takes. Although <laughs> we've got no hot takes that are as good as Rick DiPietro. We we can. If anybody's listened to uh, New York radio, he compared Sam Darnold to Dak Prescott. No, he said. no, 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 no. Let's get the hot take right. He said, based off Sunday's game, one game against Buffalo. By against the way, against Buffalo. Yeah. Based off uh, in a game in which he was injured and missed a couple series. Yes. In, in a game where he also threw interceptions. Yes. And fumbles. Yes. He is already better than Dak Prescott. Now, no, no, no. Let's <laughs> let's. Here's why this is the hot take. <laughs> Dak Prescott, as a rookie, had an unbelievable touchdown and interception ratio, twenty three to four, seventy mm-hmm. percent completion percentage. Yep. For a rookie, which is an NFL record. Yep. Got the team into the playoffs. Yep. And it took a miracle throw on fourth down from Aaron Rodgers to knock the Cowboys out the playoffs in that in that ball game against yes. Green Bay. One 
NFL Rookie of the Year and was in the MVP running as a rookie fourth-round pick quarterback. So in other words, when you hear my hot takes, just remember, that was a hot take that on was national radio. That was flame hot take. <laughs> so just remember, it could be worse. Let's get to the final game of the quarterfinals. And this was probably the most entertaining game of the entire quarterfinal round. UC Davis versus Eastern Washington. Really two teams that kind of mirror each other in a lot of ways. Um, we talked about what Eastern Washington has gone through this year. They went through, obviously, a quarterback change with an injury. We talked about UC Davis with... Mayor and obviously Keelan Doss and all the offensive weapons they have over there. And this came down literally to the wire, and Eastern Washington pulls it out on the red turf. 34-29, they get to host the semifinal game. This was as, about as close as you can get in a playoff game. I'm highly disappointed in UC Davis' defense. That last series for UC that is Davis. True. They were they, up. They were up with a minute thirteen to go. They gave up the big run to Eric Barrier, the quarterback, who played a great game and uh, in, that la- in the last moments, and then gave up the big touchdown run to McPherson. Yeah. Like, what are you doing defensively? Yeah. Hey, they blew it. Yeah. Did, they did a great job in driving down the field to score a touchdown, and then going for two in the playoff game was a gutsy call that gave them the lead, and your defense decided that it was the That's spring. Over. Yeah, they said, we're just going to lay back and play prevent and really prevent you from yeah. winning the ball game. Just total collapse defensively in the last part of the game. Really derailed what was a magical season for UC Davis. And you, and I'll tell you what, for a team that relies a lot on quarterback play and wide receiver play, their running back, Yolanzo Gilliam, had a hell of a game. He did. He had a tremendous game. And this team, as you say, was dominant really through three quarters. Eastern Washington only had, one, had two scores in the first half. It was pretty even there, but it was still pretty much a dominant game. UC Davis was controlling the ball. Doss had nine more catches for 143 yards. His draft stock continues to go through the roof. But Eastern Washington finds a way at home, and they always seem to do this. For whatever reason, their home field advantage, and by the way, I think it should be illegal for them to wear all red on that field because you can blend <laughs> in and hide people. But just it was honestly just fewer mistakes for Eastern Washington, and especially down at the end there. Um but Eastern Washington, again, this is a team that we really have has kind of been under the radar. And you really have that with a couple of the teams here that are ma- that are making the run into the semifinals. Maine's been under everybody's radar. South Dakota State's been under everybody's radar. Eastern Washington has been like, yeah, they're good, but how good are they? Really, North Dakota State's the only one that people are talking about. So now you, you can't ignore it anymore. you got three teams that have been just kind of quietly going about their business that are in the semifinal round. And all four that are left are legit national title contenders. Really balanced. All right. really balanced teams. Should be a great title game, great semifinal game. I'm excited to see how it all plays out this weekend. Absolutely. Let's Before we get to that, though, we have some other games that we were talking about. You were down. You, you must be happy to be in this 20-degree uh, weather back in the Northeast, right? <laughs> you know what's interesting? <laughs> uh, being in Daytona Beach is a ghost town, obviously, um, in the winter. Right. Because no one is down there. But it's so beautiful as far as the beach. The hotel I was on was literally on the beach. Um, so just rubbing it in right there. It was <laughs> Thanks a be- lot, folks. Like, I could still hear the waves crashing. but Complaints can go to Craig Haley on Twitter. <laughs> At Craig Haley if you have a complaint about me rubbing the beach in your face. Um, the FCS Bowl. It's a all-star game, college all-star game, comp- comprised of, 
you know, obviously more FCS talent. There were some Division two and Division three NIA players that played in the game. Higher level roster, players, yeah. Higher level players. And, you know, this was part of a, a All-Star Game weekend that also had the National Bowl, which is solely for Division two, Division three NAIA players and players from Canada um, that, that were able to participate. But the FCS Bowl, you had guys like Aaron Blockman from Campbell, familiar right. name, Ryan Fulce from Wagner, who we talk about a lot right. uh, in this game. You also had Isaiah Johnson, the running back from Eastern Illinois, who had a big play in the ball game. The Selby twins, Kiwan Selby, Teron Selby from Delaware State, along right. with Bryson Aline, the running back from Delaware State, played. Uh, Dylan Hamilton, the safety from Alabama A&M. Uh, Karan Ramsey, safety from Alabama State. So, so those were some of the, like, the big names, Matt Pike, the offensive lineman from East Tennessee State mm-hmm. was down there. Yeah, great to see him down there because he was a guy that, you know, just wrapped up his season in the playoffs and was able to make it to the game and compete. And right, so Noah Bay, I want to make sure I get a lot of these guys' name mentioned. Noah Bay from Delaware, uh, the offensive lineman, had a really good week. So you had a bunch of guys from the FCS down there competing at a high level and 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 really showing well in front of the scouts. I want to say it was about twenty combined. NFL and CFL scouts and the one NFL mm. team had three scouts there at the game. So they were they were watching uh, you know, these guys get out there and compete. James Hasey was one of the coaches. You should remember James Hasey, former New right. York Jet, Kansas City Chief Corner. Uh, his son, you know, who played at uh Central Washington played in the ball game. So it was fun, man. And Wesley Beans from Maris. Safety. What a name. What a name. <laughs> um, so I was impressed. And I was glad to get down there and Again, the reason why they play this game now is because you want to make sure you get your opportunity to showcase your skill set in front of scouts before they get swamped with the major bowl games. Bowl games, number one, and then major all-star games like the Shrine and Senior Bowl. So if you're a small college guy, this is the type of time right before they go on break or start to do their bowl game prep, you get seen by scouts. Now, the only downside is that obviously because of finals – and also because of guys still competing in the playoffs, we didn't see a great deal of even more. We know there's way more talent that were played in this, in this ball game, Right, exactly. Because um, guys are taking finals. Guys are uh, still competing in the playoffs. But the talent that was there definitely acclimated themselves well and really stepped up and did a great job in showcasing their immense skill and, and a talent. good ball game. It too. was a really good ball game. The National Bowl, was, was it sucked for the National Bowl because it was stormed. During the, uh-huh. the and that game was at nine thirty in the morning. We had an hour lightning delay too, Ouch. and that game was sloppy, Com- in typical Florida fashion. Completely sunshine and dry <laughs> for the second yep. game, which the FCS boy at one o'clock, which ended on a game-winning play by Vincent Espinoza finding uh, Brian Miller, the quarterback. I'm not sorry, um, uh, Prince Great from Jacksonville, finding him in the end zone right. for the touchdown and also for the two-point conversion. So. There were a bunch of guys in here that, that really, you know. Yeah, uh, who stood out for you in in the game itself? Obviously, in in, in during the week, you you see the intangibles. During the game, who really stood out? Prince to you? Gray was the the star of the fourth quarter for the the FCS team, the American team, uh, just making catch after catch, converting first down. Right. I thought Colin McGovern played well, the okay. quarterback out of Stetson. Yeah. Um, his teammate Zane Smith, the defensive tackle, played well. Griffin Norberg out of Valpo, the big receiver, was was excellent. Seems like the Pioneer League is making some names. They, they, of themselves making, they, they did a great job, man. And also Quinn McElfresh, the wide receiver from Mississippi Valley State, had a big week. He was he's a six hmm. three, two hundred twenty five pound receiver. 
Um, just made consistent contested catches all week long. Cedric Battle had a big game as well. The running back slash wide receiver from Central Arkansas, he performed well. Uh, so it was a really good game, I thought. And uh, Kevin Thompson from Bethune-Cookman, who had a monster game against Nebraska. Right, And yeah. I, not just a game where he, you know, played well, but he – Oh, no, no, down, he owned it. He had like two sacks, a TFL. He had like a yeah. number of tackles. He was excellent all week and also in the ball game. Alex Ng, I thought, kicked well, punted well from Valparaiso. And in the National Bowl, one FCS guy played, and that was Andrew Zecker from St. Francis. Legit defensive NFL weapon. He had a – I think I have the final stats here – but Zeka, yeah, he seven punts, 304 yards, 43.4 yard average, a long of 71. There was one punt hey, where I found myself just talking over the play-by-play guy, just in awe of like the way he flipped field position. They were, and this was probably the 71 yard punt, and it wasn't a bounce and roll. It was about 60 yards in the air, man, and it just totally flipped field position. So, oh. all of that was great. It was a great week. Great showcase for the FCS, and I think a lot of these guys will end up getting the call up for uh, the um, Tropical Bowl, which is run by the same folks, and that's going right. to be January 10th through 13th in Daytona Beach at the same stadium. So what I, what I like about this is that guys got a chance to compete early in front of scouts, Yeah, got their names you know, heard and seen. Got their, they got height, weight, speed tested, and all that stuff like that. Got great film. Great week of practice, yeah. and a lot of a lot of the families were at the hotel I was at, so I was able to sit there and talk to some guys and talk to their families, and they were just excited to be a part of an all star game, an all star performance. Yeah, um, they were excited to see it on television, so it was it was a great deal, man. It was a great event. I, I love going down and, and, and participating, and you know, if you want to see the practice highlights, which are which is always most important in an all star game setting, the practice is more important than the games. Right? Yeah. Go to footballgameplan.com slash uh, National Bowl, FCS Bowl, uh, or just go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. You can see all of the you know, practice highlights, O-line, D-line, one-on-ones, wide receiver DBs, one-on-ones from both the National Bowl and the FCS Bowl. And I have an article out today on The Athletic from a fantasy football perspective, spotlighting of a few players that played in this game that have some dynasty impact if you're one of those deep leagues or what have you so just right. go to the athletic.com slash fantasy and you can see my article today talking about the fcs and national bowl and you had some video on twitter i, I believe as well you had some highlights i believe on your twitter feed yeah or? that's that's a, you can also go right. on my twitter feed and find the link that i posted that, that says if you miss any parts of the practice you can go right there to the link and it has it'll bring you directly to player interviews i have an interview with uh daniel Lindsay, taz Lindsay, who was the running back receiver at charleston southern uh, Jabril Hazley, linebacker at Florida A&M, who had another good week. So be a great opportunity to check out what went on if you're a fan of teams uh, in the FCS that weren't in the playoffs that weren't playing this weekend. You can see what happened down there this weekend. Yeah, in especially, especially the Pioneer League, apparently, because the Pioneer League was all They balled out. They showed up and showed out, man. I tell you what. And, um, no respect. Oporto did a great job, too, from Jacksonville to safety. So Thomas Oporto, Jacksonville, Stetson, um, Valpo. Valpo showed up and showed out. I was impressed, man. Disappointing season for Valpo, but they show up in the All-Star game. Show up in the All-Star game. And, you know, <laughs> T.J. Linto was a quarterback, too, from Wagner. And what was interesting about uh, um, Deshaun Davis out of Presbyterian, we talked about this during yeah, the broadcast, yeah. was how yeah. all these guys left. He stayed. He had a really good game. But I like how uh, the receiving skills of Ryan Fulce was on display. 
Yeah. And yeah. It, what's interesting about that is, you know, this is an all-star game, so everybody's talented. Yeah, but, exactly. But when you're you're there, you can see just a different level of speed. You can tell the guys that are a little bit above. that Right, that have a certain specialness about them. They were running uh, – it was a team period uh, portion of practice, and Ryan Falls was running a wheel route. Before he got out the backfield, I said to the guy I was standing next to him, I was like, he's gone. You just saw the, the, the legit difference in his burst. And he didn't even get into the route yet, but just from that little belly out of the backfield, I was like, man, he's gone. Down the side, I had like a seven-yard – Step on the defensive back who was already back there, so he was able to <laughs> blow past him. Goodbye. Yeah, and he was able to catch the football well deep down the field. So I think for him, we know he can run the football, but showing his ability as a receiver, a downfield threat, was was great for him this week. Good weekend for Ryan Foles out of Wagner, folks. When we come back, we're going to take a quick break here. We will be talking about coaching up the openings. The coaching carousel continues to spin. Just when we think we we're, we're done with all the changes. Four, five more teams now have an opening um, after this week. Some interesting uh, coaching moves that were uh, some coaches are moving up in the world. We've got some interesting coaching hires to talk about too. You mentioned climate at Kansas State. One of the hires has a little connection to to Kansas State, and now he is back in the head coaching world. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about, of course, the Celebration Bowl coming up. North Carolina A and T versus Alcorn State as it kicks off bowl season in Atlanta and of course we will break down the two semifinals as UMaine takes on Eastern Washington and a battle of the uh, Dakota marker South Dakota State and North Dakota State we'll break down both of those games for you when we come back from this break again this is the FCS opening drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan stay with us so you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now is the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 19. 1964. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit Go. CSB.com. Welcome back, folks, to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. David Hassick in here again with the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. If you want to listen back on any of our previous podcasts, don't forget to go to SoundCloud or iTunes, search Football Game Plan in the podcast section, and remember to subscribe while you're there. Emory always has some good things going up from everything from the NFL through the FCS and even in, all the way down through college football. You can find it there. Don't forget to go to youtube.com slash football game plan for all your football game plan content. And you can follow us on Twitter at FBall Game Plan from my man Emory and at the FCS kickoff and at FCS opening drive on Twitter. Let's get back into the show here, Emory, and let's talk about the coaching carousel as it continues to spin and we've had five more openings happen in the FCS level over the since we talked to you last, folks. 
and we're going to start with one that it, it, it hurts a little close to the chest. we got to say it. There's a change happening at Austin P. Will Healy is moving on after three seasons there. He is actually taking the head coaching job at Charlotte, which was the original rumor for um, our friend at JMU. <laughs> was that, that was where Mike he was Houston, supposed to, right. Mike Houston was supposed to go there. Ended up going to East Carolina instead. So they go to Will Healy. And you look at the overall record on paper, and it doesn't look great three seasons, 13-21. and 21. But for people, that's only for people who don't know the story. For people who know what he did with this program, this is a man that's going to be remembered by this school for a long, long time. Absolutely. He was America's coach for turning around that program. <laughs> and, I, I, again, prior to him getting there. Rebuilt Austin P. literally. Literally. Remember the, the uh, picture of the football field collapsing at in the corner of the end zone? Like, legit collapsed. Yeah. And like, a, like a sinkhole or something. Yeah. So they literally were falling apart. Literally. Literally. Falling apart. Austin P. football. And for him to get there and then turn it around. You saw the recruiting. And like, his okay. first season, they were winless. They were winless. It's just like, man. But you saw the recruiting that he did. But you, yeah. but it, obviously, if you go by the first year, you're like, wow. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's still Austin Peay. Mm-hmm. Second year, you see the NCAA, this is why they're evil. Because they robbed us of yeah. what would have been a magical yep. run for Austin Peay. Because we know they didn't make it this season. They didn't have a winning season. But I do believe the program is in much better shape than it was when he took over. Absolutely. So NCAA. I'm glad you brought it up because if I had, it would have been another 15-minute rant. Right. Let's move on to another change. Shout out to Charlotte, though. Yes, shout out to Charlotte. They've got a great coach coming in there. Um, Another program that's used to success, they've kind of fallen off Charleston Southern. Um, Their coach, Mark Tucker, resigned after two seasons, 11-10, and kind of mediocre. Um, they've kind of fallen behind. They've fallen behind Kennesaw State and Monmouth as the powers in the Big South. Even Campbell had a better record than them in their first season this year. He's moving on, but Charleston Southern is still a program that is known for being kind of a powerhouse in that conference. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see which direction he goes in offensively. Because remember, they used to be an option team. Right. Tried to transition out of that a little bit this year. Um, didn't have the success that he wanted. He resigned. So the new coach coming in, you want to see what offensive philosophy he's going to bring with them. True. They they have become uh, a team that we expected a lot from because over, what, the last four to five years, they've been a consistent player in the FCS playoffs and, yeah. you know, in, in the Big South Conference, um, been winning well out of conference. So this is a chance for a turnaround and get them right back on the right track. Absolutely. Let's move on to another program here, Savannah State. Making a change at the helm, Eric Rayburn fired after three seasons, eight and twenty-three record. Savannah State again. Again, it's a tough program. It's a tough place to really get players to go in, in Georgia. Already a very competitive market. Where does Savannah State go next? That's a great question because I think they were wrong for firing Eric Rayburn, but I mm. I see why they did it. He already had uh, reservations of the program dropping down to Division Two. Right. So them making that move and then subsequently firing him, blaming it on his record, when we know Savannah State was competitive in all their games. Yeah. The recruiting talent is there. Yeah. He was able to build that program up to where it was a respectable level. So to fire him based off his record, to me, seems like this is them firing him because he doesn't want him. They want to have a, a coach that wants a to be there. full clean state. Yeah, yeah. It wants to be there at Division Two as opposed to him. Because, I mean, think about it from his case. He left a, a really good program at uh, Wabash to come to yeah. 
a Division One program because that was the draw. I want to coach Division One football, and now you announce mm-hmm. two years into my tenure here that we're going to drop down to Division Two. This is not what I signed up for. Yeah, that w- that was not in the opening negotiations. That's a little I don't think a little wishy washy to me. A little interesting. Last one here, another blue blood program. We've got North Dakota State obviously making a change that hasn't happened yet, so we're not going to really go into that too much. We've already had JMU switching. Lehigh with a change at the helm. Uh, Andy Cohen retiring. Kind of a sad situation there as well. Um, he is dealing with Alzheimer's disease, so obviously we wish uh, Coach Cohen well, but an incredible career at Lehigh. 13 seasons as the head coach, 85 and 64 record, five conference titles, four playoff appearances, including back to back quarterfinals appearances out of the Patriot League. Um, certainly a program they've got, they certainly have. The, uh, the money for the facilities and that sort of thing. They've got a decent recruiting base out in Pennsylvania. Where do we see from Lehigh coming forward? This is um, You laid it out perfectly. It's a sleeping giant program, and they're going to be one that's going to be very attractive to maybe a young coach up and yeah. coming. Uh, but sad to hear about Coach Cohen. He's one of my genuinely good guys. Yeah. Like, I, I've yeah. always enjoyed talking with him. Um, you know, he was able to, to be gracious with his time whenever I requested something. I saw him at the media day, saw him on the sideline. Um, when I did the Georgetown game this year, he always, mm. hey, Emory, come here. Let me, let me see what you're wearing today. You know, so he, <laughs> he, he was, he's a good dude and, and one of my favorite guys in this profession. And, you know, sad to see him walk away after this season, you know, because yeah. of, because of the season that they've had, juxtaposed what we've seen from them mm-hmm. the last two to three years. So, But health is always important. Yeah. I'm glad he's able to spend time with his family. Um, but he's a, he's a genuinely good guy, a great coach, and I'm, I'm going to miss him. And one other uh, change actually here, um, and another change at Bryant. Now, we've talked about Bryant in the last couple seasons as a program that really is, has been building up to something. It's a relatively new program. Uh, James Perry leaving there. Bryant's building in the right direction, but the last couple of years we've been thinking, okay, this is the year they're going to they're gonna make it to the top. Oh, no, no, this is going to be the year. And they've fallen short both times. Does, does, there, does there need to be an extra push of what's already been built from James Perry at that at Bryant at this point? You just kind of continue to build on what the last coach has done. And I love the Bryant uh, that uh, the James Perry going to Brown. Yep. That's like Harbaugh going to Michigan. <laughs> you know, that Bryant, uh, Coach Perry is a great dude, and he's a Brown guy through and through. Right. You know, he is going home, and he's going he's gonna to really take complete ownership of that program. Brown may be the surprise team next year in the Ivy League. Interesting. Yeah, because he's going to recruit. He's going to bring that offense. And we know that offense is unpredictable, and it's mm-hmm. great. It's an unpredictable greatness, I like to call it. Uh, but Bryant now has to find someone that can really take over. Because up the road, you just saw what Rhode Island was able to do. Yeah. You got two D1 schools in the state, football playing schools in the state, yeah. jockeying for position. And Bryant has all the offense, has all the flash. Coach Perry left that program in great standing as far as talent so who can come in and help build on what he did is going to help move this program even even further and and you talk and you talk about this as well as the nec has been was very competitive this they year. beefing up man st francis had a very good season out of nowhere central connecticut state bounced back nicely duquesne had a good year you look at the two teams coming in liu post and also merrimack this at the national bowl there were four merrimack guys competing in that yep. game and one guy in particular um, that balled out in the FCS Bowl, in my opinion, was Jesse Jones, who six one three thirty from here in Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so Merrimack in in LIU Post 
so is coming into the league. Brian needs to get a yeah. coach with some really good ambition to build on what he's had. Because he has. now Brian is sandwiched in between Merrimack and south of the, across the bay, across the sound, in uh, LIU Post. So interesting to watch what happens there. You talked about James Perry going to Brown. How great a hire that is. Brown has struggled for a while in the Ivy League, so we'll see what James Perry can bring there. Let's talk about some first-time head coaches. We've got a couple of those here. And let's start with an interesting hire at Northern Arizona, Chris Ball. Uh, he's been the defensive coordinator at Memphis the last two seasons, but he's also been an assistant coach at Pitt, Washington State, and Alabama. So he's got experience with big programs. Obviously, Memphis's defense, not exactly the best in, in name only. In it, yeah, to defense in name only. We've seen that before. But Northern Arizona, they really have nothing to lose. They've kind of fallen off quite – they really fell off quite a bit from last year. Obviously, had some a lot of injury problems, which led to that. But Chris Ball is going to be an interesting hire. His first head coaching job. The uncertainty of what to expect is always a great thing, I believe. Yes. Because this is his first job, which means he's going to do everything. He's going to do all of the little things. Yes. He's going to tie up all those loose ends because he has to. It's his first job. And then he's going to bring his own creativity, some new life into the program. And I think this is a chance for them to really surprise some people. Yeah. Because when you have a guy that has coached, you also have his tendencies. Yeah. And know what to expect as far as a competitive advantage perspective. You don't know anything right now. Yeah. You know, how he's going to handle as a head coach, who his coordinators are going to be, what type of system he's going to run. He could even change what he did at Memphis. And maybe what he ran at Memphis wasn't his call. Yeah. the fact that you don't know what to expect, I think is a great thing for the Lumberjacks. It's going to be interesting to watch there. We talked about McNeese State this past year. Disappointing season. Obviously made a change at uh, at head coach. And they're also bringing in a rookie head coach, Sterling Gilbert, the offensive coordinator from USF. Uh, he's been there for the last two seasons. Again, his first head coaching job. USF, though, has built in, into a nice program over the last few seasons. Going to be maybe a little bit more stability, maybe a more balanced offense for McNeese next year. Yeah, lo- University of South Florida, located in Central Florida. Um, <laughs> figure that one out. Gotta love the misnomer. <laughs> right. But offense was outstanding there at South Florida. Yes. So we know the offense is going to carry over. Uh, so, again, it's going to be interesting to see who he brings in as his assistant coaches, his coordinators. Right, right. How he handles recruiting. But I like this hire. McNeese State has been a defensive-minded program for quite some time. Right. The offense is going to be what can really push this program forward. He's going to a fertile recruiting ground, Louisiana. We talked about this before in this podcast, how there are no bad teams no. in Louisiana at all levels. And he might he might recruit the entire Gulf coming from Florida. He has now ties into Florida, which could always bring talent in. You mm-hmm. know, could he take some of that talent that's probably going to go to some West transfers. Florida? Some transfers, some transfers you know, so – that's a that's an interesting team to watch. McNeese State is not a bad program. No. They're not a bad football team. Mm-hmm. They got great players. Now you add a, a, a new uniqueness to this. Should be interesting to watch them move forward. Another rookie head coach here to talk about, and this one intrigues me, at Eastern Illinois. And again, a program that in the past has been a very powerful program, very strong, falling off the last couple seasons. They're bringing in Adam Cushing as the offensive line coach at Northwestern since 2009. He's been there for a long, long time. His first head coaching job, but as you said when we were off air, O-line coaches deserve a whole lot more credit than they're given when they take over a program. I would agree because you look at how they go about their business. They design all the blocking schemes, the run game, yeah, protections. Yep. So they know how to build an offense. 
Yeah. And when you're coaching an offensive line, you're coaching a unit. You're coaching five separate positions. Yes, the left guard and right guard are guards, but essentially they have minute different, uh, you know, responsibilities. Right. But you're coaching a unit. A lot of times everyone else is coaching position. This is a unique challenge um, or unique opportunity for offensive line coaches. I think there should be more O-line coaches that are head coaches because of how they have to control a unit, how they have to build an offense. Yep. At least, if anything, there should be more offensive coordinators that are former O-line coaches. Yeah. Um, so I think this is going to be a great hire. And he's also staying in state, too, which is, I think, a very opportunistic thing for him, being at Northwestern for all those years, just outside of Chicago, staying in Illinois. He knows the recruiting ground there. I think this is going to be a, Eastern Illinois could come back to prominence in the next couple of seasons under the leadership of Adam Cushing. Now we got to get to the interesting hire at Howard. Now, of course, they are making the big sw- the uh, big switch here with you know, obviously Mike London had his go go offense. He's bringing that to William and Mary. They've hired Ron Prince. Now, if that name sounds familiar, and I said there's a Kansas State connection, he took over for Bill Snyder the first time at Kansas State was there for three seasons, was 17-20, and 20, and then was so bad, they brought Bill Snyder back. He's also, Since then, he's been working with the Detroit Lions for, the la- for three seasons. He was at Michigan as an offensive analyst, not an offensive head co- coordinator or offensive coach, as an analyst. What in the world are we going to expect out of Howard under Ron Prince? Because this is a really, it, it seems like kind of a strange hire from the outside. I thought Vincent Brown was going to get the job since yeah. he was in-house already. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll see if he keeps him on the staff, uh, being a former NFL player and having the ties to the team currently and doing a great job as well. Right. Uh, but I, I, I like Brian Prince. Um, he's a great position coach too. Mm-hmm. But what was underrated about what he did at Kansas State was the infusion of talent. You know, mm. he turned Josh Freeman into a first-round pick. You know. True. So he's he can recruit. And we know that's how Howard jumped onto the scene Number one, then you had the uniqueness of the go-go offense and their ability to run the football. But can you continue to keep that infusion of talent going into Washington, D.C.? I think Ron Prince can. So I think from a recruiting standpoint, it's a home run hire. It'll be interesting to see where he goes with this. And as you said, on the recruiting path, he certainly has that nailed down. So many jobs still left open. We still don't have a head coach at Sacramento State. JMU still looking for the next guy. We'll now be talking about North Dakota State, where they go next with their coaching hire, considering Coach Kleiman uh, is apparently not allowed to bring any of his assistants with him to Kansas State, which I which I just find weird. So it's going to be interesting to see who the next heir apparent is on the staff of the Bison. But we will talk about that in the next coming weeks. But let's get into some games that are coming up this weekend, and we're going to start with the Celebration Bowl um, in Atlanta, Georgia, the first bowl game. It's coming up. I believe it is a noon kickoff on Saturday, uh, the first bowl game of the season, the Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl, to be official. North Carolina A&T back at it again. They've come back from the grave this year, the MEAC, to win the conference, taking on Alcorn State, both teams with nine wins in the regular season. Solid seasons again from both. What can we expect in the Celebration Bowl this year? Great defense. Yeah. So with that being a backdrop, who's going to have the X factor? It's going to have to come down to the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Lamar Raynard, you know, who's been who was a preseason all conference player. Yeah. Noah Johnson for all corn state has stepped up huge in the back half of the season throwing the football. I've talked about it before how much I love their running back. Um the showing 
Jones, who's going to be uh, Walker, Deshaun Walker. Deshaun somebody. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for my co-host to give me help here. He's just looking at me like. You're, uh, the, you're but, the expert over here. Come uh, on number, now. Number three, the running back. He's a Juco <laughs> transfer. And he's He started out in his, his first season. But all of the pieces are here. And this is the rematch of the first. Deshaun Waller. 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 So he's it's the rematch of Celebration Bowl one, where Tariq Cohen burst onto the scene as a junior. True. Rushing for damn near 300 yards and uh, running a punt back for a touchdown. So it's going to be exciting. I think we may get a really good turnout here. Yep. Alcorn really showed up. Obviously, it was a home game, but still, they showed up in droves for the first Celebration Bowl. They showed up in droves la- a couple weeks ago for the SWAG title game. North Carolina A&T is almost expected to come to this game, so their fan base is already looking forward to being there. Yeah. So should be a great game. And on paper, I mean, again, if preseason on paper, A&T should dominate this game mm-hmm. because of what we knew we they had coming back on the offensive side of the ball. But all course, State, Noah Johnson's had a very, very underrated year, especially running the football. Very good dual threat quarterback. Their defense is phenomenal, Their dude. defense is tremendous, so it'll be interesting to see how that. But again, North Carolina A&T, we still haven't seen the best out of them. We still haven't seen it. Right. Even, even in their big wins, it's like, yo, that wasn't impressive. It's like, cool. Okay. Right. Sure. The Jacksonville State win was great, <laughs> but it wasn't impressive. The Charlotte game was – I know the East Carolina game was great, but it wasn't impressive. NC, NC Central, they looked good. They looked really good, especially on defense. But what did NC Central do this year? Exactly. So we really don't know how they good – They lost to Morgan State. We don't know how good this A&T team is. Why couldn't the Rattlers win? That would have been so cool. You know what's interesting <laughs> about that? Uh, um, we were all talking about this game between Southern and, a- and A&M, and it, neither team got in. Funny about that, I, when I interviewed Jabril Hazley uh, of Florida A&M at the FCS Bowl, off-camera I asked, I was like, bro – we were rooting for you guys, you know, to when I was on the broadcast for the Howard game. And, you know, <laughs> how could you guys not win one game? He was like, yeah, man. As he said it was frustrating because we were trying. I was so I explained to him why the entire nation was rooting for Florida in him and Southern. He didn't understand how big of a rivalry that was. So yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, they used to play the Atlanta Classic every year. And it was 75,000 fans. Like, so if you guys would have won the game. And I'm pretty sure Southern would have had the momentum to go into that all-corn game even more so and uh, close it out. That would have been the ideal matchup. Oh, you disappoint me, my friend. Now, let's get into the games we're all going to be talking about here. The semifinals of the FCS. And it starts on Friday. Both these games, by the way, on ESPN2. Mm-hmm. So you can watch these games on national television. The battle for the Dakota marker goes to the playoffs. South Dakota State at North Dakota State, there may not be a more heated rival, and there. But here's the thing: there may not be a team more prepared to knock off the Bison than the Jackrabbits. They lost the game this past year. They lost the game in the regular season, twenty-one seventeen, I believe. Twenty-one seventeen. That was it. It was a close ball game. North Dakota State needed a touchdown in the fourth quarter to win that ball game. With it, early on, it was like thirteen minutes left to go in the game. They scored the touchdown to get that got them the win, and they somehow held them off. Rivalry games, I don't care about history. I don't care what your record is. I don't care who you are. South Dakota State's going to bring that attitude. They beat them, I believe, two years ago in, in the, the regular Fargo season. Dome. On the in, last play of the game. In the Dome. They almost beat them at home this year in the regular season. Now they go back to the Dome. What happens in this ball game? Because this is going to be very, very close. Well, I think if you know what happens, you might as well run to Vegas right now because that's the thing. We don't know what's going to happen. This is wide open. Exactly. It's wide open. I'm surprised that this game is not on ESPN because this is a monumental game. has all the recipes for a classic. 
Great yeah. quarterback play. Yep. Great running game. Great defense. History. Prestige. A lot on the line. Yeah. I mean, my God, this is going to be a fantastic game. And I, for one, you know, I, I got to break down the matchups as we go on. And as we're going to have our previews out. But I come into this ball game with a clean slate, not knowing yeah. what will happen. I don't even have a lean in this game, so to speak. It's it's very very interesting because if you look at the stats from that game when they match each other up, Terran Christian only threw for 202 yards in that ball game and only threw one touchdown, threw a pick. Easton Stick was more active in the air, like he was last week against Col- against Colgate. He did against South Dakota State, but South Dakota South Dakota State, um, it was more of an offense from Isaac Wallace. Now they've gone to a different running back. They've gone to a different system. Do, again, North Coast State won the game. It'll be interesting to see if they keep the same system of offense. Of course, they run the ball. They ran the ball a lot in that game between Stick, Anderson, Dunn, and Brooks. Will they have all four of those weapons? Because I believe I believe it was either Brooks or Dunn uh, left the game injured against Colgate with an elbow injury. He did not play. Will he be back? It's going to be really interesting to see if they change that offense in any way based on the regular season because it was so close. Well, that's what rematch games give you. It gives you an, you know, an idea of what to expect, but also gives you a chance to hit reset. So we may see two completely different game plans from both teams. When you also combine the magnitude of this game, this is not just like a week five matchup. Mm-mm. This is for the trip to Frisco. It's going to be an entertaining game, a lot of new wrinkles, and not a, a lot of new tricks yeah. uh, that we're going to see and it's going to be a full-fledged 60-minute brawl between two outstanding programs. It's going to be a fantastic game to watch. And, again, this game is on ESPN2, folks. It's an 8 p.m. kickoff. What else are you going to be doing on a Friday on this Friday night? Honestly, there's not much. Not much. There's there's nothing going on. And same thing can be said for the other semifinal on Saturday. It's a 2 p.m. kickoff, ESPN2 again. Um, obviously, there are more bowl games going on, but it's the early bowls. It's the small conferences. What? That doesn't right. really matter. This game matters. The University of Maine is traveling. They travel 2,300 miles to get to Weber. I don't know with this curvature of the globe, whether it's a shorter <laughs> trip, but they're now flying out again to eastern Washington to face the Eagles on the red turf. This one is, I mean, Maine is a team playing inspired football. Eastern Washington is finding all sorts of ways to win, and they're very unpredictable, but so was Weber State. What can we expect from this one? Can the Black Bears keep this up? Because, I mean, this is two really rough weeks of travel in a row. I would turn the question around and ask you, can Eastern Washington keep up this level of pace where your Mm. defense is suspect, you know, giving up a little bit too much in the passing game and struggling to stop the run? Can you keep Mm -hmm. up this pace, this uh, cardiac cats almost from the old Cleveland Browns back in the – uh, early 80s, can they keep up this pace? That's going to be the biggest question. I don't think Maine, it, obviously we saw it last week. There's no issues with them Maine traveling. doesn't care. They don't care. Maine they just want to play football. This, this is their first appearance in the semifinals, by the way, ever in program history. Really? First time ever that Maine has made it this far. So you know they don't. This is this is house money. This yeah, this is, is does, I mean, they, they, they flirted with the idea of perhaps staying out that way and yeah. – you know, like NFL teams, yeah, but yeah, these yeah. are college kids, man. You, they got to come back. They got to get practice. Yeah. They got exams at this right. point. Yeah, all so kind of stuff going on, man. And so, you know, if you want to pay the players, then absolutely. Well, isn't that an interesting that, concept? Right. Hmm. So, but this game for Maine will be a big one, and it's another monumental test for the Black Bears. And I, I do believe on the on the field they're ready for it, but 
with the significance of the moment, we know Eastern Washington has been to the national championship game before. Yes. They they can obviously understand what the significance of this game, new territory for Maine, which could be both a good and bad thing. So we'll see. Right. And, and I think the biggest question here, this will come down to how what Maine can do in the red zone. Because we talk about, and there's nothing wrong with Eastern Washington's offense. They're mm-hmm. outstanding. They're explosive. They're top 10 in every category. Right. Defensively, it's weird. You look at their in yards, they've allowed 4,900 yards. That's 93rd. Passing yards, 2,800 yards. That's 104th. Rushing yards, 2,000 yards plus in rushing. That's 75th. But points per game, they've only allowed 21. That's 22nd in the country. So when it gets to the nitty-gritty, they don't allow you to score. The question for me in this game, how does Maine do when they get to the red zone? Can they finish their drives off? Protect the football, number one. They have to be able to protect the football. We saw them... Be a little bit giving last week against the yeah. That's going to be per- that's going to be punished. Can't have those Washington. turnovers. So it's going to be very and again the running game. It's kind of been a two back system. We've seen it with uh, Ramon Jefferson and Joe Fitzpatrick. They've been the one two punch for this offense. But it, you, as you said, it's going to be a lot on Chris Ferguson. Twenty one touchdowns, nine picks. It's a good ratio. It's not a great ratio. Eastern Washington, they can beat you in any way, shape, or form. And again, Weber State had Weber State had a very interesting offense, kind of an unpredictable offense. They got nothing on Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington, you could just throw any kind of play into the bag that you want. Mm-hmm. It could happen. You don't know. So again, this is going to be a big thing about preparation for UMaine as well, about preparing for this kind of wild offensive display from Eastern Washington. And it's going to be fun. And then again, after that, one game left. Briscoe, Texas, January 5th, I believe. Is January that? 5th, I believe. So. Oh, yeah, it's the 5th, I believe. I mean. I'll this be is down it. that way. This is it. <laughs> this is it. You got to gotta finish the job. Before we go, folks, let's talk about two. Let's give a quick shout out to the small schools before we go here. We're done pretty much with the FCS coverage. Division two championship games coming up this weekend, as well as Division three. Division two. Valdosta State taking on Ferris State. Valdosta, basically an FCS program. Well, that, that kills it's your just, whole uh, Savannah State can't recruit in that area because <laughs> you know, Valdosta is just south There's of Valdosta's stealing them all. <laughs> yeah, right. So Valdosta State taking on Ferris State. Do you have a pick in that game? Val- Ferris State having a good year. Knocked off Minnesota State in the semifinals. Kerwin Bell is an offensive genius. I like Valdosta State in that game easily. E- easily? Each. Easily. There's your Division Two prediction. <laughs> Jeez, we got an interesting. And let's talk about Division Three. Mm-hmm. It's another. It's another Purple Bowl, which seems to be a prerequisite to get into the Final Four. Even the Giants, Mount Union, back in the title game again, taking on Mary Hart and Baylor. Although Mount Union had trouble with Johns Hopkins. I thought Johns Hopkins was going to win. Good that run game. for Johns Hopkins, but they got Mary Hart and Baylor. How do you see this ball game going? Mount Union. Period. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard for me to go against. The beast. That's like going against North Dakota State in the title game. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, it's hard to bet against them in a championship game, not like a playoff matchup. Last week, I thought Johns Hopkins had a, had a shot, and I thought they were going to actually win that game. But in a championship game, I gotta go with Mount Union. The they, Giants of Division yeah, Three. I have to go with Mount Union. I love Mary Hart and Bill and what they've been able to do over the last three years and building up that that uh, uh, program to, to compete at the highest level there, but. Mount Union is Mount Union for a reason. All right. Mary Hart Bill. I'm just saying they beat Wisconsin Whitewater 31-14. In the Did they beat Mount Union last week? Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Fine. Any bowl predictions, by the way? You got the first week of the bowl season coming up. Louisiana over Tulane. 
Number one. I wonder why I picked that one, folks. Hmm. That's, a, That's an easy one. Mr. Man in the Raging Cajuns sweatshirt with a, with a chili pepper, by the way, as the uh, as the quotation mark. In well, there. Cayenne <laughs> is the mascot name. Ah, okay. So okay. Okay. it works. All right, fair enough. But that's my only bowl prediction right now. That's the only one I I, I, th- I have to break down the bowls. Uh, obviously, me knowing that bowl right off the bat, I already know who's going to win. <laughs> so the other bowls, I don't know. A lot of bowl games coming up on uh, this Saturday, folks. But, of course. That Arizona State one is going to be fun. Um, that one, who Arizona State plays, uh, I believe they play Fresno State. Yeah. Fresno State's defense is outstanding, and Arizona State has had a great year under Herm Edwards in, in year one, but they're going to be without Nikhil Harry, who's going to be a first-round pick, who's sitting out the bowl game, going up against one of the best defenses in college football. And what a great job Jeff Tetford did in turning around Fresno State's program. True. That's going to be a fun game to watch this weekend. Yeah, just for reference, folks, the game's on December 15th. North Texas versus Utah State, Tulane, Louisiana, Arizona State, Fresno State, Eastern Michigan versus Georgia Southern. Former FCS. Former FCS. And Appalachian State against Middle Tennessee. Two former FCS programs. So it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun, folks. But again, those games are just one and done. The games in the FCS mean a trip to the national championship in a true playoff game. True. True playoff game and i love how they mentioned that on the broadcast yeah. too oh it looks like a, an actual play even jay billis was like oh it looks like a playoff system that actually <laughs> looks like a playoff system i wonder what the ncaa could do about this there's a lot of things they could do but we won't get into that folks enjoy the two semifinals enjoy the celebration bowl if you're going down to atlanta between a and t and all corn state should be a great game there thanks for listening in we'll be back this week to break down the semifinals and maybe we'll talk about we, we might talk about the final game a little bit maybe maybe a little bit and Just some a little bit. and and of course there's probably going to be about 15 more coaching changes before we get to next week <laughs> all right folks thanks for listening in enjoy the games again both games are on ESPN2 Dakota Marker game on 8 p.m. on ESPN2 on Friday 2 p.m. on ESPN2 between Eastern Washington and Maine enjoy the ball games and we'll talk to you next week